Hi, I'm Idla. And I'm Jasmine. And we're your frightened sisters. <laughs> we're having technical difficulties. Again, I feel like we have one every episode. <laughs> it's always something. This time our um, like recording audio thing didn't get this account down. I know. It just started like, recording. <laughs> going well today. I feel like I should leave that in. This <laughs> First, like, hello? What's going on? <laughs> we're here. Well, welcome, guys. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Are you ready for this? You know, this is the first case I haven't proofread because I just didn't <laughs> have time because I found a lot of information and, you know, family and life and all that stuff. But I'm looking forward to this case. Today we're talking about the Villisca Axe Murder House. My suggestion. I know. You suggested <laughs> it. And I had I had never heard of this case. Yeah. So I like I found this site that was like the official site. And it's the only link that I'm going to post mm-hmm. because all the information you need is right there. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a wild case. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> and spoiler alert, it is unsolved. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I know. It's so, going to be even more interesting I know. people solve a murder. <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> I have my theories on who did it, but we're going to talk about it in the second part. Oh, yeah, it's going to be two-parter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert again. <laughs> we are together today. Yes. Today's going to be our first two-parter, and I'm super excited about that. Oh, boy. Yes. And, um... <laughs> I got to grab a fidget toy. Yes, I need a fidget toy. I, you know, this... Yeah, like I said, this case will take you down a rabbit hole. Especially because, like, so many people, like, have their theories on who did it and all this stuff. We'll go over a few suspects in the um, second part, but... There's so many suspects on the site. I would definitely like look into it and like read up on it yourself and you know, maybe write in and be like, you know, I think this guy could have done it or let's you know, solve a murder together. Yes, let's do it, guys. <laughs> Us in our audience. I believe in our <laughs> listeners. We've got this guys. Yes. <laughs> now this will be a two parter and it's gonna be one on Friday. Yes. So instead of making you guys wait two weeks for another one, we're gonna record one on Friday and then well, Jasmine and I are going to record both of them the same night, yeah. but you guys will get this one in your feed today, obviously, and then tomorrow will be part two. It'll be part two on a Saturday. I know. For me with your guys, is Saturdays, too. I know. You get a frightening Friday and a frightening Saturday. <laughs> I feel like it should be a different name for a Saturday, but yeah. I'm not clever. Scary Saturday. Oh, there you go. You're yeah. clever enough, I thought. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> frightening Friday and scary Saturday. There you go. I love that. It's awesome. <laughs> Okay, we've got this. This might be a little bit of a chaotic episode. Yeah. Eva's hyped up on coffee, and <laughs> I don't even know what's wrong with me. I don't have an excuse. You had sugar. You had the cocoa. Oh, that's true. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of sugar today, I think, in general. Yeah, and um, I kind of already went through Starbucks this morning. And that oh, was my large. God. How many coffees have you had today? This is my second one. I'm had drinking second a Second large? Yes, having a large from Dutch Rose. See, I play for both teams, no matter how you look at it. Oh, my God. Very sorry about the quality of this episode. I know. It will be wild. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually put in our, I actually put in here that we're doing a two-parter. And you but, just didn't read it. I know, I didn't read it. Not else. yet. Um, Spoiler there again. Yes. It's a two-parter, by the way. I know. I had a whole drum roll thing going on here. I'm so sorry. I just spoiled it. I messed it up, too, because I was, like, already talking about, like, in part two. I was, like, before you <laughs> mention it. 
I am with it today. You know, we've got this. We we've got this. This is kind of like an impulsive episode in a way. Yes. I don't proofreading. Just let's go. I am excited about this one though. Like this is like one of those cases that just makes me like passionate about the podcast. That's you know? good. Yeah. I'm glad my suggestion could be so good. I know, right? <laughs> See, I just suggested one to her and she did all the research for me. Now nice. I just get to listen. <laughs> this is how it goes. Yes. <laughs> So how have you been doing? Uh, I've been doing good. Yeah. Really stressed out, but I've been yeah. okay. Because you have a crafter coming up, I which do. will be exciting. Yeah, I'm selling crafts, guys. I know. Jazz is hella talented. Well, thank you. Yeah, like she made like she makes earrings and and necklaces and bracelets and coasters and tea hold like tea light holders. You should be part of my marketing. Team. I know, right? <laughs> you and my fiance both could both be my marketing team because I suck at selling myself. People ask me what I make. I'm like, oh, I just like make this stuff. And you guys are like, it's so cool. It's so awesome. <laughs> no, like Jasmine is earrings. She's not even charging for them because she's like the bestest friend ever. Well, and like, it's not like Tommy from Rubber, they're the bestest. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, I have a thing for turtles. And she made this like really cute, like pink and purple, like um, turtle earrings. And, You're welcome. Yeah, I just, I love them so much. I can't wait to wear them. I'm going to wear them tomorrow. So if anyone sees her, yes, <laughs> out and about, yes, the earrings are by me, yes. <laughs> um, not that I mean, by the time this airs, I've already worn them. But. Yeah, you already have them for like a week <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so, <sighs> but we're excited for this case. Yes, at least I am. I'm <laughs> well, I'm excited. You've been hyping it up, but I'm also stressing out about it all at the same time. With I me. know. <laughs> oh, so at the end of this. Um, episode we do have not this episode at the end of part two we're yes. going to have a little bit of announcement yes so stay tuned for that um the first part will be more of the crime itself and the second part will be more of the trial okay um which the second part is going to be a little bit longer it's a lot of um i did do a lot of copying pasting full disclosure for part two just because there is a lot of quotes i like changed a few things like when there wasn't quotes but it's really hard to change too much when it becomes about the trial because it's like yeah. it is what it is yeah. you know but don't really want to change how the trial went <laughs> exactly yeah so I did change like wording on a few things but like um obviously but not like the quotes the quotes I kept the same because they're quotes yeah so don't want to change people's words either <laughs> no exactly yeah so but the second part's gonna be a little bit longer but and you know a little bit I I think it's interesting I hope all of you do too in part two but some people don't like the trial stuff, but that's fair. But we hope you at least listen to this one because we do have a little announcement at the end. So yes, and at least give to the end if you don't like trials. Right, yeah. no, exactly. Just fast forward. <laughs> give us the runtime too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, are we ready? Yes. Let's jump on in or whatever you say. Is that what you say? Dive in. Dive in. Sorry, I don't know your own catchphrase because <laughs> I roll my eyes every time. Right. <laughs> you just don't even listen. <laughs> don't face it out at this point. <laughs> So I do want to put out a trigger warning. This is another case that involves child death. During our last case, I warned before each time it came up. However, this case is a little bit different in that I feel like it comes up so much that it would be difficult to do the same here. So just letting you know, it comes up a lot. I'll try to be brief about it. Um, and we hope you stick around for this case, but understand if you can't handle child death. Yes. Very sorry we do a lot of child ones. We need to stop. I know. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I'm, yeah, I have another little announcement too at the end, because I, I know what, oh, or, no. I know what the next one's going to be after this, and I'm excited. I don't even know, I, know. I might know, maybe I, know. I don't know, yeah, the face you're giving me makes me unsure if I know or not, <laughs> it's going to be, the next case after this is going to be, um, I don't know much about it, all I know is it's a brutal one, and we're back into the torture after this yes all i know is it's a brutal one and like you have to be in the right headspace to do it i don't know if i am but you know what i'm doing it anyway we're raining in the new year real good here right <laughs> yeah so now without further ado let's dive in oh my god <laughs> to this part one i already beat you through that i know velasca velasca axe murder house i can't it's a hard name but this is gonna be fun that was yeah. loud sorry <laughs> sorry guys i hit my my um apple pen to my fidget toy oh you know i'm gonna put this away why do you need the pen? I don't know. You're not writing. <laughs> All right. We are together. Yeah. Let's do this. The Moore family was a simple family living in a quiet residential street in Velasca, Iowa. On a Monday morning, the absence of movement were, were the first indication that something was out of place in the Moore home. First, let's back up and talk a little bit about the town of Velasca, Iowa. All right. In the early 1900s, Velasca, Iowa had a population of approximately 2,500 and was flourishing. Businesses lined the streets and several dozen trains pulled into the station on a daily basis. According to D.N. Smith, a Chicago Burlington Quincy Railroad employee, Velasca meant pretty place or pleasant view. However, this translation may not have been totally accurate. It's possible the name Velasca came from the Indian word Velasca, which means evil spirit. Those are two very different things. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if he just got his translation mixed up or what, or maybe it doesn't have, maybe it comes from the Indian word or what, but, but very different meanings either way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Feels like it depends on who you are is what it means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Truth. Depends on your, like, um, out view of the town <laughs> exactly yeah i mean after this case i can see how it would be an evil spirit yeah <laughs> now let's talk a bit about the moore family and the two little girls who were having a sleepover with the moore children on what would be a horrific night oh no yeah josiah b moore and i love the name josiah by the way yeah or joe as some called him was one of Velasquez's most prominent businessmen at the time of his at the time of his death, he was survived by his parents, Mr. and Mrs. C. C. Moore of Lesta, brothers John Moore of Summerfield, Kansas, George Moore of Portland, Oregon. Oops. So we have Portland, Oregon here. Fen Moore of Red Oak, James Charles Charlie Ross and Harry of Alaska, and sis and sisters, Mrs. Mrs. George Fisher of Alaska and Miss Minnie Moore of Omaha. Those are quite some names. <laughs> I know, right? They have very fancy sounding yeah. names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a lot of siblings. He did. Yeah. It was a lot of names to remember, too. Yeah. And have to remember all the siblings. Yeah. And quite a few of them um, testified in court, too. Oh, so I will have to remember them later. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head of what if any of his sisters did or not, but I think maybe one of them did. We will find out. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I, Read through all of them, but I can't remember off the top of my head because there was a, there was like fourteen witnesses and yeah you know. But anyways, Josiah married Sarah Montgomery on December sixth, eighteen ninety nine, at the home of her parents. 
Josiah and Sarah Moore had four children, Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul. A lot of kids in this family in general. I know, right? <laughs> a lot of people make a lot of kids. having four kids. No, I can't either. My fiance comes from a family of four kids. I don't know how they did that. Yeah. I come from a family of three, and that my was mom, chaotic. <laughs> my, like, my grandma had four kids. My mom was, like, the oldest. I can't eat, I can't imagine. Well, my great-grandma had 11. Can you imagine that? <laughs> my God. I can't. I, I am I'm overwhelmed with two. Imagine 11. Oh, damn. I also sorry this is like sounding kind of weird. I'm a little shaky from the caffeine I had, I'm realizing. Right. So I'm trying my best, you guys. Yeah, focus. I know, I do. Okay. Bring it back into it. Focus. Focus. Like like Hoover. Think, think, think. Oh god. Oh no. We're not focusing. There was no focus there. Sarah Montgomery was born in Knox County, Illinois, in 1873. And moved to Iowa with her parents, Mr. and Mrs. John Montgomery, and her sister, Mary, in approximately 1895. She was 39 years old when she was murdered in her bed. Sarah was an active member of the Presbyterian Church. She was so young. No. She was survived by her parents, her sister, Mrs. Mary Van Glider, her niece, Faye Van Glider, her nephew, Lee Van Glider, and Mrs. Mary Keehan, who was a grandmother who lived with the Montgomery family. She had a much smaller family. Yes. Compared to her husband. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. felt <laughs> like his family list was not ending. <laughs> no, right? Seriously, that's how it felt like reading them. I was like, holy shit, okay. <laughs> he has a lot of brothers. Herman was the oldest of the Moore children, born in 1901, and only 11 at the time of his death. Oh. It's said that he was very attached to his father and often seen at his side. That's sad. No. Catherine, who was born just two years after Herman in 1903, was only nine years old at the time of her death. Boyd and Paul were the youngest, more children, ages seven and five. My oldest is nine. Mm-hmm. This is so sad. It is. Like, you can't imagine, like, like, hearing, like, your, like, your son and, like, his whole family was, like, really you know what I mean yeah so yeah it's just this gonna get really sad it is gonna get really sad and Lena and Ines Stillinger were close friends of the Moore children and were still and were having a sleepover at the time of their murders on June 9th 1912. Lena Gertrude Stillinger and her sister Ina May were the daughters of Joseph and Sarah Stillinger. Both girls were born in the Stillinger family farm just outside of Alaska. Lena was 12 years old when she was murdered. Based on the position of her body, it's believed she was the only victim to fight off her attacker. Oh. It's also believed, and here's a trigger warning, she may have also been a victim of some sort of sexual assault. That's really fucked up. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing's fucked up so far, but that's yeah, really fucked up. I'll get into why I think that in a bit, but that's something I'll only briefly go over. And um, I believe it also comes up briefly in part two in one of the um, the witness statements. We'll definitely try to give a trigger one for that one. Yeah. Yikes. Ina May and Lena had seven surviving siblings. Jesus, do these people have hobbies? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, they have a hobby and it's like more children. <laughs> Do they have another hobby? <laughs> they have a hobby, and they just can't afford the condoms to go with them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pull-out method? Anyone heard of that? <laughs> Not working for them. 
<laughs> oh my god. Okay, go on. <laughs> so the siblings' names were Edith, Ed, Lester, David, Blanche, <laughs> sorry, Ralph, and Ada Lou. What were these names? Blanche. I'm sorry. Blanche comes out comes up later too. Those names are not good yeah. names that they picked. No. The, St- the Stillinger sisters are buried side by side in the Velasco Cemetery. I can't, that's like one of my fears too, like having like my oldest go off to a sleepover and like, you know, I mean, I have like less anxiety about it now that I'm properly medicated. <laughs> this case won't help you. No, I know, right? It's like this. No, like, this won't help. I remember watching like a 2021 night about something like this that happened, like a kid got murdered mm-hmm. um, at a sleepover while our son was out of sleepover <laughs> I, like, I remember you telling me about that and i was like why are you watching that right now <laughs> this is not the thing to be doing no this is not a smart move um elena and ina St- stillinger the daughters of joseph and sarah St- stillinger sorry i keep wanting to say stillinger 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 so they left their home for church early Sunday morning. They plan on having dinner with their grandmother after the morning service, spending the afternoon with her, and then returning to her home to spend the night after the children's day exercise is finished up. And I'll get into what that is in a minute. Okay. I was about to ask. Yeah. <laughs> the girls, however, were invited by Catherine Moore to spend the night at the Moore home instead. So they were not even supposed to be there. Oh, yeah. That's even more sad. Yeah. Prior to leaving for the exercises, Mr. Moore placed a call to the Stillinger home and asked permission for the girls to stay overnight. Blanche, Lena and Ina's older sister, told Mr. Moore that her parents were both outdoors, but she would pass the message along to them. The Children's Day program at the Presbyterian Church was an annual event that began at approximately 8 p.m. on Sunday evening, June 9th. According to witnesses, Sarah Moore coordinated the exercises. So it was then to with their church. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And that makes more sense now. I did not know what that meant. So. I didn't either. I'd never heard of anything like that. So no. I was like, this is weird. Um, I've never heard it worded like that before. So. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but it began at 8 p.m. If you were looking. For children? Yeah, 8 p.m. And they were like, it ended at like 9.30. They're crazy. On a Sunday night. School night. They're crazy. I know. <laughs> it's like a damn school night. Even yeah. if they know something about children, they have enough. Yeah. And they know something about them. <laughs> yeah. All of the Moore children, as well as the Stillinger girls, participated. Josiah Moore sat in the congregation. Um, the program ended, like I said, at 9.30 p.m., and the Moore family, along with the Stillinger sisters, walked home from church. They entered their house sometime between 9.45 and 10 p.m. That's so late. I'm sorry. I'm not over how late that church event is. I know. I, I would have never gone to a church event that late. Right. <laughs> and having a sleepover the same Sorry night. Sorry about that, guys. I just, what? like, slurred my drink. Eat what? We are on air. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm done with my coffee now. I know. But you're shaking, so you probably shouldn't have more Am coffee. I seriously shaking? I feel like well, I thought you were. I am shaking. You said you were. That's, That's why I'm going off of. I am shaking. I just thought it was, like, not noticeable. Okay. I don't know if it's noticeable. Okay, I'm good. just going off of what you said. That's good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Continuing. On Monday morning, on June 10th, 1912, just the next day, this beautiful place would be shattered by the discovery of the Velasco axe murders. The Moore family, well-known and well-liked Velasco residents, and two overnight guests were found murdered in their beds. Oh, my God. 
That Monday morning at approximately 5 a.m., Mary Peckham, the Moore's next door neighbor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm immature. <laughs> stepped into her yard to hang laundry. Around 7 a.m. is when she realized something was amiss. She realized that not only had the Moors not started their morning chores, but that the house seemed unusually still. Creepy. I know. And like they're also out till 1030. I know, right now. <laughs> they're probably sleeping in, but I fuck that. I'm not gonna really do chores at that. Oh my god, no kidding. Between 7 and 8 a.m., Mary Pegum approached the house and knocked on the door. When she received no response, she tended to open the door only to find it locked from the inside. After letting out the Moore's chickens, Mary placed a call to Josiah's brother, Rossmore. Upon arriving at the home of his brother, Rossmore attempted to look in a bedroom window and then knocked on the door and shouted, attempting to get some of the attention in the house. When that failed, he, he got his keys and opened the door. Although Mrs. Peckham followed him onto the porch, she did not enter the house. Oh, it's a better. Yeah. Knowing what's in there. Mm-hmm. When he opened the bedroom door, he saw two bodies on the bed and a dark st- and dark stains on the sheets. He returned immediately to the porch and told Mrs. Peckham to call the sheriff. The two bodies in the room downstairs were Lena St- Stillinger and age 12, and Sister Ina, age 8. So sad. I know. Um, the remaining members of the Moore family were found in the upstairs bedroom by City Marshal Hank Horton, who arrived shortly after. Every person in the house had been brutally murdered, their skulls crushed as they slept. Josiah and Moore. I know. That is terrifying. Yeah. And just more terrifying to not even know who did it. Yeah. Again, and this was, like, 1912, so they're already gone. Yeah. They're, they're, like they got away with this shit. That's so crazy. I know. Also, just, like, horrific to think that someone did that to a whole family like this. Yeah. Like, mainly children. Right. I don't I, understand. I want to know their motive. No. I would love to know who did this, because I, like... Like, why? Yeah. What would trigger this? I know. They seem like a decent family. Yeah. I mean, as far as I've heard so far. I mean, stuff comes up a little bit about um, maybe Josiah Moore in the second part. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like interesting stuff in yeah in these inquests, but um yeah or in the inquest, like it's all like one thing. But still, the kids though, yeah. the kids didn't do anything. No, wrong. they didn't deserve that. Um, no, not that anybody does, no, but like, nobody deserves this. <laughs> no, this is messed no. up. Josiah Moore, age forty three. Sarah Montgomery Moore, age 39, Herman Moore, age 11, Catherine Moore, age 9, Boyd Moore, age 7, and Paul Moore, 5, as well as the Stalinger sisters. So many people, too, to murder. I know. They, like, they had neighbors, right? Yeah. This is another thing that will come up in the OS, that um, not, not everyone talks about hearing something, but one person did. That's wild. Yeah. Why let someone got away with it being in a place with like neighbors and people around mm-hmm. and killing that many people? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of people. Right? To not have made a lot of noise. <laughs> I know. I mean, they were like sleeping, but still, like, I feel like. Eventually, they start waking up because you yeah. start hearing things happening. Yeah. Can't tell me they were all that heavy. It was like, I mean, clearly, um, I think it was Lena mm-hmm. that was awake and tried to find out her Yeah. Daughter. So, um, 
Based on the testimonies of Mary Peckham and those who saw the mores of the children at exercise, it is believed that sometime between midnight and 5 a.m., an unknown assailant entered the home of Josiah Moore and brutally murdered all occupants of the house with an axe. Yeah. With an axe, too? Yeah. That's messed up. Yeah. This case, however, was so mismanaged, probably why it wasn't solved, that it still hasn't solved today, like I said, yeah. <laughs> exactly. The truth is... The truth is we will never fully know what happened that night inside the home of Josiah and Sarah Moore. The murderer, or murderers, were never caught, and given the many years that have passed, their secret was obviously buried with them. Yeah. So. Because they're probably not alive right now. Yeah. Once the murders were discovered, the news traveled quickly in the small town. As neighbors and curious onlookers gathered around the house, I know, people were morbid. Law enforcement officials quickly lost control over the crime scene. This is wild. It is said that up to 100 people traipsed through the house gawking at the bodies before the Velasca National Guard finally arrived around noon to block the area and secure the home. Oh my, 100 people? Yeah, around 100 effing people were just like gawking at the victims. Didn't that happen with the JonBenet Ramsey case too, where like just so. a bunch of people were like walking around yeah. and it completely fucked up the crime scene? I believe so. It's like, who does that? Like, what is wrong with these people? No. I mean, 1912, they probably didn't understand yeah. as much back then. Like, yeah. you have very little resources back then True. to figure much out. So it probably didn't really cross their mind yeah. as much back then. But still, like, it's I don't... still, it's fucked. Like, why would you want to let see, the like, family like, rest and let them most, figure it out? Yeah, this is kind of the most times like everyone knew everybody. Yeah. So it's like, I can't imagine, like, wanting to go view a brood, like, my friend brutally murdered. Yeah, no, and their kids and everything. Yeah, like, that's messed up. I don't want to see that. Like the only people I, I could say. maybe understand is like the parents of those girls, because you know it's like closure. It's closure, kind of a thing, and it kind of makes it more real in your head. Yeah. So, but like, even then, maybe not. Yeah. But like all these town people, like let them rest. Yeah. Let the police do their job. I know. Um, and I'm gonna give some evidence now. The only known facts regarding the scene, the scene of the crime, were. Eight people have been bludgeoned to death, presumably with an axe left at the crime scene. It appeared all had been sleeping at the time of the murders. Doctors estimated the time of death was somewhere shortly after midnight. Curtains were drawn on the, all the windows in the house except two, which not have curtains. These windows were covered with clothing belonging to the Moors. So they just, oh. yeah, they just like covered everything up. All victims' faces were covered with the sheets from the beds after they were killed this is when you hear about this in a case mm -hmm. it's usually someone that knew the family intimately yeah so that's why i'm you know like it's very strange it had to have been someone who knew i mean obviously in this town everyone knew everybody yeah. but like that doesn't mean it no, could have just town. been someone that walking through too yeah but to cover to yeah i mean it's that or they just felt so shameful what they were doing that they covered yeah. it too i mean it could yeah. have been either one yeah. either one which is usually that's an indication. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they didn't have that resource, but usually that's an indication that they knew the victims. Yeah. But again, it could not be. Yeah. Maybe they did have to throw people off. Who knows? Yeah. Exactly. Um, a kerosene lamp was found at the foot of the bed of Josiah and Sarah. The chimney was off and the wick had been turned black. The chimney was found underneath the dresser. Do you know what a kerosene lamp is? Yeah. Okay. I do. I didn't know in this case. <laughs> so I'd like look it up, but yeah. Yeah. Do they know if that was, like, the families, or do they think it was left by... I don't... They didn't say. Okay. It was um, just there. Yeah. 
A similar lamp was found at the foot of the bed of the Stillinger girls. The chimney was also off. That makes me think it was, like, the families. Yeah. And it was just, like, their bedtime lamp mm-hmm. that they yeah. got turned off. Exactly. Like, it got, like, thrown off in the chaos yeah. of being a piece of shit and killing people. Yes. <laughs> exactly. The axe was found in the room occupied by the Stillinger girls. It was bloody, but an attempt had been made to wipe it off. The axe belonged to Josiah Moore. Oh, so you just... Someone just took his axe. Yeah. They just walked in with nothing and found what they could. That's so bizarre. Yeah. The ceiling of the parents' bedrooms and the children's room showed gouge marks apparently made by an upswing of an axe. Damn. Yeah. So if he was going... Really going at it. It wasn't like little swings. No. I mean, have their face caved in, you know what I mean? So, a piece of a keychain was found on the floor of the downstairs bedroom. Huh. Just weird that they mentioned that. It must mean something. Yeah. Uh, Does it come up again, or is it just that? That I didn't see it come up again, but bizarre. I know. Maybe someone was like, "That's not theirs." You know, that knew yeah. the family. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. But see, I don't. I don't know what keychains you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a really uh bizarre random yeah, thing. Exactly. Could be. They could have picked it up that day for anyone knows. I know, right? <laughs> Maybe they got it from the exercise. Exactly. <laughs> they want a keychain. <laughs> a pan of bloody. A pan of bloody water was discovered on the kitchen table, as well as a plate of uneaten food. Oh, so that piece of shit, like, just started taking their food, too. Yeah, exactly. The doors were all locked. The bodies of Lena and Ina, and Ina Stillinger were found in the downstairs bedroom off the parlor. Ina was sleeping closest to the wall, and Lena on her right side. A gray coat was covering her face. Lena, according to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, sorry, I'm going to read that. Um, According to the inquest testimony of Dr. F.S. Williams, quote, she lay as though she had kicked one foot off out of her bed sideways with one hand up under her pillow on her right side, half sideways, not clear, not clear over, but just a little. Apparently, she had been struck on the head and squirmed down in the bed, perhaps one-third of the way. Bed quote. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll reread that quote, too, in the inquest, but I just thought it was interesting to put into the part one, because mm-hmm. how they found her. Lena's nightgown was slid up. So, trigger. Yeah, trigger warning. And I'll make this brief. Lena's nightgown was slid up, and she was wearing no undergarments. So... That's where they got the idea um, of sexual assault. Do they not think it was just like she didn't wasn't wearing any to begin with? They think that she was a victim of, self, of sexual assault, but um, that that wasn't ever really confirmed. But she was the only victim not wearing any underwear, and her and just her neck down. But that, again, that could have happened when she slid down. Yeah, I was wondering because like there's obviously a struggle of some sort. Yeah, with all of them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know why she wouldn't be wearing underwear when she's at somebody else's house. I don't know. I mean comfortable <laughs> just comfort True. don't know me she isn't like sleeping in those True. yeah i mean that's hard to tell i guess unless they found something on her body yeah exactly like otherwise yeah um there was a blood stain and in- on the inside of her right knee and what the doctors assumed was a defensive wound on her arm um and dr lindquist the coroner reported a slab of this is weird. He reported a slab of bacon on the floor in the downstairs bedroom lying near the axe. What? Yeah. 
Okay. Weighed nearly two pounds. It was wrapped in what he thought maybe a dish towel. A second slab of bacon about the same size was found in the icebox. What the hell were they doing with the bacon? I don't know. That has me very curious. What the fuck was the bacon doing? Right. Was that man trying, like, the person that did it trying to steal bacon? <laughs> he just wanted food, okay? He really wanted bacon. Kelly people makes you hungry, apparently. <laughs> For, like, a two-pound slab of bacon. I cannot eat two pounds of bacon. I'd be oh, sick. I don't even like bacon. <laughs> I love bacon. I don't like bacon. So. Bacon. <laughs> I'm not a big bacon person. Yeah. Um, this is the last thing they know about the case. Um, not the case, but the um, crime scene. Mm-hmm. Lindquist also made note of one of Sarah's shoes, which he found on Josiah's side of the bed. The shoe was found on its side. However, it had blood inside as well as under it. It was Lindquist's assumption that the shoe had been upright when Josiah was first struck and that blood ran off the bed into the shoe. He believed the killer later returned to the bed to inflict additional blows and... Uh, knocked over the shoe. Huh. That's an interesting thing to yeah. like, point out and find. Yeah. So I guess there's something too, like, I, was, I don't, I'm not a forensic person. Yeah, like, I'm I don't not either. <laughs> so I was like, hmm. yeah, I'm not a forensic person. But I think it's so fascinating. That's why, like, the trial kind of does fascinate me a little bit, just because it's so fascinating how they, like, they know how things played out mm-hmm. based on just little things like that. Like, I wouldn't even think to look at that. Yeah, no, me neither. So that's just that's why I can't get into forensics. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's just fascinating to me. Um, but during the weeks that followed this horrific discovery, life in the small town changed drastically. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine? I know. <laughs> All residents of this small town reinforced locks, openly carried weapons, and huddled together while sleeping. Newspaper reporters and private detectives flooded the streets. Accusations, rumors, and suspicion ran rapid among friends and families. Bloodhounds were brought in. Law enforcement agencies from neighboring counties and state storing forces. Hundreds of interviews filled thousands of pages, and yet the murders the murders remained unsolved. I can't even imagine just like the feeling and the chaos like how much that town changed after yeah because everyone was probably like blaming each other and like pointing fingers at everybody else and just like it had to have just gone to pure chaos in that town yeah vibes were very different right (laughs) after that yeah lots of enemies were probably made after that yeah coming from a small town i can't even yeah that would have definitely shook up, like, my small town, too. Like, yeah. That would have been messy. So I yeah. can't even imagine. Because you have, like, it's on south, so you don't know who to trust. Exactly. So it's, like, you're always pointing fingers, and, like, someone looks a little bit off one day, and you immediately are like, oh, my God, it's them. You know? It's just, like, you can't have an off day anymore. You know? Everyone will blame you. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> For some, speculation was almost too much to bear, and in 1912, townspeople began to distinguish and identify themselves by who they believed committed the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Friendships became strained and in many cases completely broken. Which is sad yeah. too. It's sad. Yeah. Like, you're like small town just small town life, it's just all about community. Yeah. So something like this happening where you just don't know who to trust, like that community's just broken. Yeah, I can't imagine. It's just I I can't either. Yeah. That's oh that gives me the chills. Right. <laughs> Among the suspects immediately after the murders was Sarah's brother in law, Lee Van Glider the ex-husband of Sarah's sister, Mary. Um, Van Glider had a few previous encounters with law enforcement and was known to be prone to violence. Um, 
although he and his wife divorced, there was apparently enough bad blood between the two of for him to be a suspect. However, he was later cleared. I'm not sure what exactly cleared him, but he still seems like a good suspect to me. Yeah, it's a little fishy. Yeah. A little bit fishy. Yeah. I wonder what cleared him. Yeah. I wonder if there was like an alibi or something. Yeah. Could be. I think that's the only thing that doesn't. Yeah, exactly. A really good alibi. Yeah. Which could be fake. Exactly. You never know. Easily fake. You have a fucked up friend. Right, exactly. (laughs) And... As we've known by some of these, some of our cases, these fucked up people find each other yeah. all the damn time. Yeah. So <laughs> they become best friends in prison and everything. Right, exactly. So. Um, in 1994, Darwin and Moth and Martha, oh my God, <laughs> Darwin and Martha Lynn of Corning, Iowa, purchased the former home of murder victims Josiah Moore and his family. The house was returned to its original condition at the time of the murders in on June 10th, 1912. It was listed on the National Register of Historic Places and opened for tours. Another tour house. Yeah. They hope the renewed interest of the mystery may somehow help Blaska heal her wounds and rejuvenate her economy. I can't even imagine trying to live in a place like that. No. It's so haunting to even like, yeah. think about it. I don't think this is like one place I don't think like um, I'd want to visit. No. Doesn't feel like a very fun place to be. No. Just, I feel like there, there's some, there has to be something more than there. Yeah. Like, it just, there's no way. Yeah. Doesn't sound very joyous. <laughs> no. Like a great home. No. Ooh. Films and books on the murders have recently captured the interest of an audience who had never heard of this crime. Um, I never heard of this crime before you brought it up to my attention, though, Jazz, either. So it's like, I understand why they didn't like I literally found it by a Google search. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I didn't even know there was films or anything made about it. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly enough, the movie person did not know that. Uh, I True. Just, I found it by a Google search. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was looking for a haunted house. <laughs> right. And this one came up. I love it. Blackhooks claim that they've identified the murderer, and history buffs continue to collect piles of documents they say point to the truth. Unfortunately, though, we may never know for sure. It's all just speculation. Yeah. I'm assuming they keep getting, like, different suspects that they think it is. Like, everyone has a different There was person. a lot of suspects initially. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll go over that a little bit in part two as well. Um, but, yeah. I'm only going to, like, cover two of the suspects because mm-hmm. um, they kind of go together. Um, but there's so many. There's, like, they yeah. think could have been the work of a serial killer. They, like, they think, like, all this stuff, too. So, yeah. like, it's not just... There's a lot. I mean, initially. when it's unsolved and so, like, random feeling like this, like, it literally could have been anyone. Exactly. Which is wild. Yeah. So it just felt so out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Visits by paranormal, paranormal, I said the word, paranormal <laughs> investigators have, pr- have provided audio, video, and photographic proof of paranormal activity. Tours have been cut short by children's voices, falling lamps, moving ladders, and flying objects. Ugh. I don't want to go here. No. Psychics have confirmed the presence of spirits dwelling in the home, and many have communicated with them, and skeptics have left believers. Hmm. I mean, if things are flying at me, yeah, like I'm going to believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds really intense. <laughs> no. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the inquest. I know I mentioned that we're going to go over it in part two, but I think, but we'll talk a little more about, about it here. Um, part two will be witness statements as well as a few suspects. So, here's the inquest. The county coroner, Dr. 
the inquest, arrived at the scene of the crime at approximately 9 a.m., several hours after the discovery of the murders. After viewing the crime scene himself, he later letter I can't God, I can't speak. He later met with John Henry or Hank Horton, the night watchman and Sheriff Orrin Jackson to review the information they had collected. Although Lindquist called the members of coroner's jury together in late afternoon, it was several hours later before they actually entered the Moore home to view the bodies. And after 10 p.m. before he and the county attorney Radcliffe finally gave permission to the undertaker to remove them. Hmm. So it was like hours after. Yeah. The fire station had been set up as a temporary morgue and it was close to 2 a.m. before the bodies had been transported. Damn. Yeah. A long time. I would not want to work in that place. No. <laughs> That's a really long time for them just to be chilling there. <laughs> right. So it took almost a full assay to get it done. I don't know if that's typical. I have no idea. So I'm not in, yeah. like, forensics or yeah. that part of anything. Yeah. Maybe it was, like, back then, but, like, I don't know. I mean, because things are also much different back then. Yeah. There's probably not as much of a rush in a weird way. <laughs> and, yeah. like, there's a lot less resources back then, too. Yeah. So it... But it's just amazing, too, like, some of these cases. Like, I don't know if they did in this case. I don't think they did. But some of these cases that are from way back when, like... And they didn't have like the DNA uh, capability. Yeah. Those they still had the wherewithal to like collect DNA. Yeah. To like, for, like they knew like for somehow they had a feeling in the future they'd be able to test it. Which I wouldn't even just why again I wouldn't even think of yeah. that. So these people are smart. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, no, if that wasn't even a thing, I wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. So that's all I'll go over about the inquest for now. Um. That's but that's part one of our part two. Woo! Or part one of our two-parter. I can't tell. <laughs> of our part two. That's part one of our two-parter. God, I, you know what? I can't speak. I put it in here correctly, I swear. I just can't speak. Um, okay, we're going to go have a dinner break. Exactly. <laughs> I'd say that we hope you enjoyed it, but this is but this one's brutal. Yes. But we hope you stick around for part two. Yes. That one will be a lot less brutal. Just going over, like I, just going over, like I said, some of the statements that I found quite telling and a few interesting suspects. Um, but anyways, hope you stick around for tomorrow for part two. And we're gonna eat some ramen. <laughs> Ooh, ramen. After hearing about these brutal cases, it still has some ramen. <laughs> anyways, keep being safe and we'll see y'all tomorrow for part two. Love y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.